All right, tonight we're going to be covering the last three bowls. Now, let me quickly bring you up to speed out of memory. The book of Revelation is primarily the final judgments of God on a Christ-rejecting, God-rejecting, godless, ungodly, sinful, reprobate, depraved world. I've shared with you more than is usual for me lately how a person, a city, a nation can sin to a point where God finally says, that's all that I can take, that's all that I can stand, that's all that I can allow, and he has to bring his judgment. And it's a fearful thing. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Our God is a God of love. Because he's a God of love, and I want you to take this right, because he's a God of love, he's a God of hate. You say, you mean he hates people? No, he hates sin. Because he's a God of holiness, he loves holiness. You can't love something and not hate something else. You can't love one thing and not hate the opposite. So God loves people but hates sin. Because he hates sin, he must eventually judge it. He'll give you a season to repent. He'll give you many times a long time to repent. He gave those in Noah's day 110 years to repent. But finally, God said that's it. And he brought judgment. And so the book of Revelation, we can kind of encapsulate it, summarize it this way, and say, God has finally said, can't take anymore. And he's bringing judgment. Now, his judgment fell in three sets of sevens, you remember, the seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, the seven seals that were opened, the seven trumpets that were blown, and the seven bowls that were poured out. This is pictorial language to give us an idea, give us a picture in our minds of these Sets of sevens, judgments. Now, the bold judgments are the last of the 21. Seven seals, seven trumpets, seven bowls, 21 judgments in all. The bowls are the last and the bowls are the worst. And the last three bowls are the worst of all the 21 judgments. So keep in mind, this is not God being unfair. This is not God being mean. This is not God being unjust. Abraham said, shall not the God of all the earth do right? The answer is rhetorical. Yes, he will. Or the question is rhetorical. Of course he will. He'll do right. The good news is you can dodge this judgment. You can get out from under this judgment. You can avoid this judgment by coming to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and letting his blood cover your sin. And apart from that, you're headed for judgment. And I can't tell you how certain that is. In the next few weeks to come, we're going to deal with the great white throne judgment. Sobering thing. But tonight, let's look at these three bowls. Last time we saw John describing the proclamations of six mighty angels in chapter 14. Then in chapter 15 of Revelations, we observed the seven bowls of judgment being handed to seven different angels. And in chapter 16, the bowls of judgment are poured out. We saw last time that the first four bowl judgments were the following. Here they are. Bowl number one, malignant sores on everyone that received the mark of the beast. Time and again, 
that is one gross picture. They found that, and I said, man, you found a good one. And it's not that I glory in that, but, you know, it says malignant sores. That's obviously the ozone layer has been depleted. Skin cancers are breaking out over the entire planet. And this is the bold judgment, the first one. So over and again, John says, don't receive the mark of the beast. An angel is even sent to tell us not to receive it. Now, bowl number two, the oceans become like blood and all the marine life dies. Bowl number three, the springs and the rivers, sources of natural clean water, become like blood, as in the days of Moses, when Moses caused the rivers in Egypt to become like blood and everything in them died. Same thing, same idea. Bowl number four, the ozone layer is destroyed, causing men to be scorched by the heat. Hence, you have the skin cancers, the malignant sores. There it is. There's the cause. John, in a first century vision, sees 21st century truth, 21st century weaponry, 21st century warfare. Now, the final three bowls. Now, what we're going to notice about these is they are undeniable judgments of God. These last three, there's no way you can look at them and say, well, man did that. That's because of men. No, these last bold judgments will be so supernatural that men will look up and realize this is the judgment of God. It's the hand of God. Now, here comes the fifth bowl. The fifth bowl was poured out in Revelation 16 and verse 10. And then it says, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. What we're seeing here. Now, don't miss next week. Because next week, we're going to show you out of the book of Revelations out of what political climate and what part of the earth the Antichrist comes out of. Don't miss next week. It's very powerful. But here he's kind of jumping a little bit ahead because chapter 17 describes the arrival of Antichrist. But in chapter 16 here, he's telling us that at the end of the Antichrist's reign, his kingdom is going to be plunged into a supernatural darkness. It says in Revelations, John looks and sees his subjects, those with the mark of the beast, grinding their teeth, in anguish. The jig is up. The truth is coming out. What looked like a great and promising kingdom is coming to a fearful, horrible, frightening, dark end. They're grinding their teeth. Chapter 17. We're going to look much more closely at the rise of the Antichrist kingdom. Uh, as I just shared with you, John is jumping ahead right here. So the fifth bowl is followed by a strange cosmic darkness. And if you're in the Antichrist kingdom at this time, and unless you are a tribulation saint refusing the mark of the beast, being hounded by the Antichrist, martyred for the cause of Christ, if you've got the mark of the beast, suddenly his kingdom is plunged into this strange, inexplicable, supernatural darkness that is visible to the eye. It's caused by dark clouds of interplanetary debris. 
The fifth bowl especially affects the throne and the domain of the Antichrist with this strange darkness. Now the inhabitants of earth begin to recognize that this is the judgment of God. It's not going to take a rocket scientist. Normal men will look and say, this is the judgment of God. This could only be the judgment of God. The kingdom of the Antichrist is coming apart at the seams. And what do people do? What do the people with the mark of the beast do when there is this darkness and the obvious unraveling of the Antichrist kingdom? What do they do? Revelation 16, 11 says, And they cursed God. They cursed the God of heaven for the pains and the sores. But they did not, said John, they did not repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. Is there anywhere, ladies and gentlemen, in the Bible where the wicked heart of men is more prominently displayed than here? This is why I tell you, if you left these folks on earth for a thousand years, they would never repent. When you look at the hardness of their heart here, knowing that God is judging them, knowing that God has sent these plagues, yet they look up and they curse God. It helps you understand how God is justified to finally bring judgment. These people are reprobate. All right, next the sixth bowl is poured out. Revelation 16, 12 says, Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great Euphrates River, and it dried up, so that the kings from the east could march their armies toward the west without hindrance. We're looking here at the beginning of the War of Armageddon that you've heard so much about. Let's see what the Bible says about it. The sixth bowl judgment dries up the Euphrates River. Why does God do this? It is simply stated that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. You remember when we talked to you about that huge army? God's going to make a way for the land armies of the vast eastern Asian continent to surge through the Middle East en route to the land of Israel and the final battle of the Great Tribulation. He's making a way for a gigantic 200 million man army spoken of earlier in this book. The enemies of Israel will march against her for one last massive assault against the Jews. Have you ever stopped and just thought, isn't it amazing? That here we are in the 21st century, 2100 years since John gave us this. Here's John predicting that the eyes of the entire world would be focused on that little dot on the world map called Israel. And isn't it amazing now how so much of what drives our everyday news and everyday life and everyday geopolitical focus is this problem in the Middle East with Israel and the Arabs and the hatred that is focused on that little land of six million or so Jewish people. It's amazing. It's a setup. It's a divine setup. It's not hard to imagine what we're seeing right here. The final battle of that great day of God Almighty, the battle of Armageddon, at this point in the book of Revelations, is now imminent. Remember, the Euphrates River is 1,800 miles in length, 3,600 feet wide, and 30 feet deep. And with one judgment act of God, its bed becomes dry ground. God can just go, whoof, and dry up the Euphrates. Now, the Bible tells us these kings of the East could include leaders from Russia, Iran, India, China, Japan, and other Far Eastern powers. Matter of fact, when I'm done with this series on Revelations, I'm going to go right straight to 
the prophecy on Gog and Magog and how a huge army from the uttermost north and other allies with it will attack Israel. It could happen any time. And it's not this. It's another war preceding Armageddon. But just hold that thought. I don't want to confuse you. You're looking at me cross-eyed a little bit right now already. Right now we're focusing on the kings of the east, and there's possibly some of the players right there. Now evidently, the Antichrist will not be able to maintain total control over these Asian powers. Even though the whole world is wandering after the beast, his control begins to slip, his power begins to diminish, and this war sets itself up under the hand of God. In this end time scenario, God is bringing the forces of Satan across the dry riverbed to be utterly destroyed by none other than Jesus Christ, who will return with all his heavenly forces. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. If I'm reading the Bible right, you're there. We're there. The church is there. And I know that's a mind-blowing thought, but buckle your seatbelt. This thing gets more mind-blowing in the next few weeks. But he's followed by heavenly forces, and what does he come to do? He returns to stop this war before man annihilates himself. Notice in the next verse, what we could call a satanic trinity is described by John. It's really strange. This is like out of Spielberg. But it's not. It's from God. Revelation 16, 13 says, I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs leap from the mouths of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. These are demon spirits. And what he's telling us is the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the dragon, the devil, speak from a satanic anointing. The Antichrist and false prophet have a power behind their speech that is not God. You can be anointed by God, you can be anointed by the devil. Saw that with Hitler. Seen that with orators throughout the ages. You can stand and speak and there be a power behind your words that is not natural. And right here, John is seeing into the spirit that when the Antichrist and the false prophets speak to the world of this day, they are anointed by the devil. Frogs were symbols of filth and dirt to the ancients. The frogs John sees are evil spirits energizing the unclean words of Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And these evil spirits have a diabolical purpose, and here's what it is. They are, John says in verse 14, they are demonic spirits who work miracles and go out to all the rulers of the world to gather them for battle against the Lord on that great judgment day of God the Almighty. What are these demon spirits anointing the words of the Antichrist to accomplish? When he speaks, he calls the world to war. And when the world hears him and the false prophet, his little John the Baptist guy, when they hear them, there is a power, there is a persuasiveness. There is something on what they say that has a supernatural attraction to the powers of the world. And they begin to gather for this battle, the battle of Armageddon. Yet God is in charge of every bit of it. Everybody say with me, God has everything under control. 
Can we say it again? You're looking nervous to me like, wow. Let's say it again. God has everything under control. Give him a hand of praise, everybody. See, only God can do this. Only God can speak to a man 21 centuries ago and tell him what he's going to do 21 centuries later. Look at what Zechariah said about all this. Zechariah said, I will gather all the nations to fight against Jerusalem. The city will be taken, the houses looted, the women ravaged. But Zechariah also goes on to predict that this will be the time when the Jewish people begin to turn in droves to the real Messiah. Just prior to Christ's return, there's going to be revival among the Jews. And they're going to turn to Messiah in droves. Hallelujah. We'll talk about that a whole lot more in the weeks to come. Zechariah 14 goes on to say, When these armies come against Israel, then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as He has fought in times past. On that day, His feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. Catch this. Remember when Jesus was talking to the twelve? He had been crucified, buried, and rose from the dead. He's standing on top of the Mount of Olives. He talks to them, gives them instructions, go into all the earth, preaching the gospel, so on and so forth, gives them the great commission. And then as they watched, he was lifted up into the heavens. And as they were watching him go, angels appeared and said, the same way you saw him leave, he will return. Now, that's an echo of Zechariah, Old Testament. Zechariah said the same thing. His feet are going to stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem. This is a description of the second advent of Jesus Christ. Verse 9 of Zechariah 14 says, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. And he will not be elected, and he won't be a Democrat, and he won't be a Republican, and he won't be a Libertarian. Glory to God. He'll be royalty. Royalty. Now, Zechariah says, On that day there will be one Lord. His name alone will be worshipped. And in the midst of these final moments in history, God makes a final appeal to the end-time believers to hang on. It's going to soon be over, and here's what he says to them. In verse 15, he says, Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me, who keep their clothing ready. That's talking about walking in purity, staying clean. So they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. So that's the Lord saying to the tribulation saints who are seeing this battle form and these armies amass. The Lord says to them, hang on. It's about to wrap up and all be finished. Stay clean, stay pure. I'm about to come back. Finally, here comes the seventh bowl. It's poured out. In Revelation 16, 16, And the demonic spirits gathered all the rulers and their armies to a place with the Hebrew name Armageddon, the Valley of Megiddo. Revelation 16, 17 says, Then the seventh angel poured out the bowl into the air, and a mighty shout came from the throne in the temple, saying, What, everybody? It is finished. This seventh bowl is the end of history. This is it. It is finished. 
Who said that before? Jesus said it on the cross. Now, this is the end of history. With this final bowl, the thumos, the Greek word for hot fury of God, is complete. Now he's done with his judgments. Verse 18 says, Then the thunder crashed and rolled, lightning flashed. Can you imagine being on earth during all this? I mean, you're watching CNN, NBC, ABC, if they're still around. You're watching them. You're seeing a 200 million man Eastern army gather together. You're seeing on TV that the Euphrates River has mysteriously dried up. You're hearing all these reports of wars and rumors of wars. And now in the spirit world, an angel pours out the final bowl. And if you're on earth, you're seeing thunder crashing and rolling like never before in history. Lightning flashing. A great earthquake struck. This earthquake, the worst, John says, since people were placed on the earth. Think about this. Of all the horrific earthquakes to ever strike earth, this is the granddaddy of them all. This earthquake will not be measurable by the Richter scale. It literally rips Jerusalem into three parts. Revelation 16, 19 says the great city was split into three sections and the cities of many nations. Did you hear that? The cities of many nations fell into heaps of rubble. The cities of many nations. Let your sanctified imagination walk with this for a minute. This is not just local with Jerusalem, but major cities, skyscrapers, metropolises crumble with this earthquake. It's global. Cities all over the world crumble like a house of cards. The Bible says in great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. We're looking at Babylon next week. Don't miss it. All right. Revelation 16 verse 20 says in every island. Think about that. I'm going to go ahead and say it. Hawaii. Every island. Everybody say every. The Holy Spirit doesn't make mistakes with words. Every island. Say it. Disappeared. This is God's final bowl of judgment. And all the mountains, think about it, the Himalayas, Everest, all the great mountain peaks, what does it say about them? We're leveled. This is an earthquake like nothing ever seen before, ever. This earthquake, possibly the consequence of a nuclear blast, it wouldn't surprise me, decimates the islands of the sea, perhaps through multiple tsunamis. And this awesome quake brings all mountains down. Let's give you an idea here.
even Hollywood can't capture what this will be like. But that gives you an idea. And after this earthquake, something incredible and horrifying. Look at verse 21. And great hail from heaven fell upon men. Every hailstone about the weight of a talent fell from the sky onto the people below. What's a talent? A talent weighs 100 pounds. A 100-pound piece of hail would be at least the size of a basketball, which I brought tonight. I want you to think of something. Kathy and I were talking on the way here about that hailstorm that hit so bad in 2001, somewhere around in there, during Mayfest. And we were remembering that one boy who was 17 years old who was in a house and it began to hail huge chunks of hail the size of baseballs. And he said, oh, no, I got my new truck outside. So he ran outside to get his new truck. Hailstone the size of a baseball hit him in the head. He was instantly killed. Size of a baseball. This hail will be this size. That's exactly what John by the Holy Spirit saw. Now imagine that this is ice, 100 pounds, and it's a hailstorm falling on the earth. The decimation. The only place safe would be like a cave with a mountain above you, except all the mountains are gone. Hail, the size of a basketball, begins to pummel the earth and strike people, strike buildings. And it's all a part of God's judgment. Let me give you a little factogram here. I looked this up. In the aftermath of World War II, atomic devices were set off causing the ocean waters to rise 30 to 60,000 feet. Think about that. When the boiling water began to fall, it created hail the size of basketballs. This hail was so huge and deadly that it damaged the ships placed in the lagoons, denting the ship's armor. Now that leads me to at least conjecture, at least wonder, if what causes this huge hail is not another thermonuclear blast. Very possible. All of these awful judgments are punitive. They are not rehabilitative. God is not trying to reach the world anymore, y'all. He's not trying to reach it anymore. The age of grace is gone. This is punitive. It's judgment. Once again, we see unrepentant mankind with these hailstones of 100 pounds hitting the earth. And what do they do? These people look up and they blaspheme God. Revelation 16, 21 says, And men cursed God because of the hail. And I don't know about you, but if I'm in this, I'm on my face. You've got to get me off the ground with a spatula. I'm repenting. But that's because the Holy Spirit's on my heart. These people are like the people of Noah's day. They mocked him for 110 years. Until the rain began to fall, they didn't believe a word he said. And they were swept away in the great flood. It's like the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. The angels came in, told them judgment was coming. Even Lot's son-in-laws mocked him and didn't believe what he said. And so the daughters escaped, but the sons-in-law were destroyed. When God decides to judge, God will judge. So here they are, cursing God again. And ladies and gentlemen, next time we're going to be looking at the riddle of Mystery Babylon and the great harlot. Now this, let me just give you a little teaser for next week. 
Chapter 17 is the hardest chapter in the book of Revelations. It's the hardest one. We're going to look at some characters called the Great Harlot. We're going to look at Mystery Babylon. We're going to look at where the Antichrist is going to come from, how he arises, what part of the world he will most likely come out of, and it is fascinating. So don't miss next week. Can we stand together? Now, I know we ended a little bit early tonight because that's because I've got to treat chapter 17 totally by itself. Got to treat it by itself. It's so strong. But how many of you can say, I'm so thankful that grace has touched me? Can I tell you with everything that lies within me as we close now that this is real. This is not a fable or a myth. Brothers Grimm, a fairy tale, John was not just daydreaming on the Isle of Patmos. God is telling us through this book that his judgment is as certain as the building we're in, the chair you're sitting in. His judgment is totally guaranteed. It's coming. And words, even John's words, can't paint it as bad as it really will be. Now, I want to encourage you, get out and tell somebody about Jesus. Because nobody wants to be in this. Nobody wants to be in this. Amen? Can we bow together? And with your heads bowed, if you can say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I've walked with the Lord but I've gotten away. I drifted, I strayed, I kind of got out there and the Lord's been dealing with me that I need to come home. I need to make things right with God. I need peace with God. I don't want to be on the wrong side of God. I want His love, I want His peace, I want His blessing. Or maybe you can say tonight, I've never Not for certain. There's a question mark in my mind if I have ever truly been born again. Listen carefully to me. If that question mark is there, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be unless there's something you need to settle. If you've never given your heart to the Lord and just said, Jesus, change me, Tonight is a perfect time for you to make it right. If you can say, Pastor, I'm in one of those two categories, and I'll let you pray for me, would you raise your hand right where you are? Just raise them up. Let me see you. I see you. Bless you. Say, I need the Lord. I want to make it right with God. I'm not ashamed of Him. I need to get things right. Raise your hand high. Let me see you. All right. I want you to listen very carefully to me. As soon as we dismiss, I want you to come and stand right in front of me and let me meet you, and I want to have a prayer with you. Would you do that? I want to have a prayer with you. Thank you, Lord. Now, let's just, again, Lord, give us revival in this city. Let there be an awakening in this place with children, with youth, with adults. 
Lord, give us a true revival and help us to win as many souls to Christ as possible in light of this sobering book. In the name of Jesus. Give him a hand of praise, can you? Thank you, Lord.